0: This is Lock and Code, a Malwarebytes podcast. I'm your host, David Reese. This week, we're going to talk about last week, starting with the news. On Malwarebytes Labs, we uncovered a late August uptick in malvertising campaigns. This time, threat actors bid on online advertisements placed on adult websites, specifically targeting Internet Explorer users. The threat actors managed to sneak by the ad network by hiding their identity. In one case, posing as a web design agency with an associated URL. But unsuspecting victims using Internet Explorer who engaged with the ads could be hit with the raccoon information stealer, which can swipe login credentials, credit card info, and cryptocurrency wallets. Separately, we also spotted a known threat group placing a malicious ad on the enormously popular free adult video site XHamster. Taken altogether, then, there are at least two reasons to stop browsing free porn sites. Number one, the free video model rampant on many adult websites today essentially requires online piracy to function, which means that the industry is seeing lower and lower returns on the films they make, which results in smaller production budgets, which then devalues the work of the camera operators, actors, and actresses as they take home salaries that, for the hours they work, are lower than minimum wage. Number two, malware. We also reported on how the coronavirus pandemic changed what cybercriminals are looking for when making purchases off the dark web. Previously, the hot ticket items included login credentials for Facebook, PayPal, and Airbnb, which could be used for, perhaps, identity theft, payments fraud, and… a vacation remember those? But now, the pandemic has excluded Americans from entering about 95% of countries, and it's forced cybercriminals around the world into their homes. Which means that among the hottest items on the dark web now, for the first time ever, are login credentials for Instacart, Disney+, Masterclass, and Headspace. If I'm reading this correctly then, Cybercriminals just want to order some chicken wings, watch Aladdin, maybe take a mixology class, and decompress with some app-guided meditation. Must be nice. Finally, we provided readers with a definitive guide on election security. With the U.S. presidential election fewer than two months away, Voters deserve information on all the types of cyber threats that can disrupt a functioning democracy. The good news here is that we have some simple defenses to these threats. The bad news is that there are far, far more threats than the imagined nightmare scenario of changed votes. Threat actors could, for instance, hack a presidential candidate's campaign, steal staff workers' emails, and then selectively release them to influence voters. That one should sound familiar. Threat actors could also pull off a sim-swapping attack, taking control of a campaign's official Twitter or Instagram or Facebook account, and either using that account to broadcast disinformation or to delete a campaign's online contacts, making it harder to reach volunteers, advocates, and donors. And, of course, threat actors could pull off a classic DDoS attack and attempt to interfere with the voting procedures on election day, as one group did in a South Korean mayoral election in 2011. These are worrying threats, and we cannot and should not downplay them. We can, however, focus on our defenses. First, stay informed. Get your news from trusted sources double-check any suspicious news posted by friends on social media. And please, be aware of the active disinformation campaigns happening in the U.S. Second, vote. Election fraud is a numbers game, so it's up to us to outweigh any potential disruption. (sighs) What a week for Malwarebytes Labs. Beneath California's iron foundry-colored sky, we say... Don't visit free porn sites and vote. In cybersecurity news across the world, Agenda reported that the Luger Center for Public Health Research, a laboratory based in the country of Georgia, suffered a cyber attack in which threat actors stole information on the country's response to the coronavirus pandemic. And they further uploaded falsified documents to reportedly intimidate and confuse the public. Well, tell the hackers it worked. Because I'm confused as to why they would try to disrupt one country's response to a global pandemic. Losers. Israel Defense wrote that a group of Iranian hackers targeted several Greek naval officers by infiltrating their email and social media accounts. IBM researchers discovered the attack after they, quote, "...exposed videos in which the Iranian hackers are shown carrying out the attack." And here I thought hackers were camera shy. Boston 25 News told readers about the resurgence of an old email phishing scam, in which cyber thieves try to swipe Netflix login credentials by posing as the streaming giant's support department. Why is it always Netflix with these thieves? Does Hulu not have desirable movies and shows? Too good for The Handmaid's Tale, are we? Fine, watch all of Tiger King again like those are eight hours well spent. Multiple outlets reported that data breaches occurred at the University of Missouri, the North Carolina Health System, the new South Wales government agency Service NSW, and online exam proctoring company ProctorU. I'm trying to connect the dots between a university, a healthcare system, a government agency, and a testing company, but really the only through line here is 2020 sucks. Finally, InfoSecurity Magazine warned that in the first six months of 2020, compared to the same time period the year prior, DDoS attacks against online educational resources rose by 350%. In the future, I imagine these kids will not talk about snow days, but DDoS days. Our main story today concerns Google Chrome Extensions, the sometimes helpful online tools that work directly with the Google Chrome browser. Chrome Extensions can pull off a variety of tricks. Some check your grammar, some scour the web for coupon codes for online retailers before you purchase something. Some provide a dark mode for easier nighttime browsing, and particularly during the pandemic, at least a couple of extensions offer socially distanced friends a way to watch Netflix shows together just on separate couches. But the Google Chrome extension landscape is enormous and the countless users trying to navigate that space can run into trouble. Repeatedly, Malwarebytes has discovered and protected against Google Chrome extensions that are not what they seem. They may lie about required permissions, they may hijack web searches, and some just serve as a scam to make the developers some extra money. To help us better understand the history of web browser extensions and the specifics of Google Chrome extensions, including how to spot and protect against malicious examples, we're talking today with Peter Arntz, malware intelligence researcher for Malwarebytes. Peter, welcome back to the show.
1: Thanks for having me, David. Always a pleasure.
0: Let's get right into it here, right? Before we discuss Google Chrome extensions specifically, let's back up a bit and just talk about the broader world of web browser extensions. When did web browsers first start allowing extensions, and what were some of the basic functionalities even back then?
1: The first ones I know of were for Internet Explorer. I think they started allowing them with version 5. That must have been around the turn of the century. (laughs) and back then there were more like plugins than actual extensions like we know them today these plugins they are basically standalone programs that could be started by the browser and the extensions we have today are really run inside the browser so there's a but that's that's where they came from historically speaking were they popular well no not at first but It didn't take advertisers long to pick up on a new method to deliver pop-ups and insert advertisements into websites that wouldn't have any. (laughs) So soon the number of valid use cases was largely outnumbered by adware extensions and their counterparts, extensions created by protection software that blocked advertisements.
0: So could also anyone just make a browser extension? Could they just... Like you said, you know, these adware companies, could they just conjure one up and then say, here it is?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's, for a programmer, that's pretty easy. I mean, since a few years, we've seen efforts to create a single standard API, but for now, every major browser requires a different approach. Only Edge and Opera can, are compatible with most Chrome extensions, but for Firefox and for Safari and for Chrome, we all have different types of extensions and they all programmed slightly different. But it doesn't require very ingenious programming skills to make a stable browser extensions.
0: So that's good to know about just a brief history of browser extensions. And now moving to Google Chrome extensions, can we get an idea of just how large this landscape is? And so that's something like is there a rough estimate of the number of available Google Chrome extensions today?
1: I looked that up for you. There is about 200,000 extensions available for the Chrome Web Store alone. And there are other sources for Chrome extensions, of course, but most people stay away from those and they are right to do so. But only 10% of those 200,000 extensions mm-hmm. have more than 1,000 installs. So.
0: It's, like it's like the world of Amazon. There are countless products. Yeah. Some of them are popular. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are all of these extensions, do we know if they're actively supported or is it someone makes something, they throw it up on the Google Chrome extension store and then it just collects dust and, you know, it's just one developer and then maybe it's forgotten years later?
1: Yeah, that's the, the destination for most of them. Like you said, most of them are dropped in there and, and forgotten about them. I mean... These extensions are almost always free, so they don't generate any funds that that would pay someone to keep them supported or or update them regularly. Just the extensions from companies that, that publish them as an added bonus to other software or extensions where the user is the main part of the business model, those have active support. For the advertisers, it's more profitable to publish a new version under another name than to provide regular updates for their product once you have a bad name it doesn't make sense to keep updating that you just throw in a new one or the same one under another name
0: compared with earlier browser extensions some of the things we were talking about here where there were pop-up blockers and there were advertising tools it seems what are some of the more popular functions for google chrome extensions today you know have we advanced Have they gotten more sophisticated or is it still much of the same?
1: It's mostly much of the same. There are ad blockers, privacy protectors, skins to make them dark or whatever, or file converters. Why you wouldn't want to do that in a browser beats me, but that's a very popular (laughs) subject for, for extensions. And there's dedicated search providers, like things that make you easier to look for sports or for movies or for music or what have you. And we all will see that the unwanted extensions will pretend to be one of those popular ones.
0: You've spoken a couple of times here about extensions and much earlier plugins that help serve ads. Can you explain how that works?
1: Yeah, these extensions, they ask for permission for some kind of control over your browser. And one of those permissions could be to alter the content. And that makes sense for... A spell checker, but it can also turn out that it puts an advertisement in a site that normally wouldn't have one or changes the kind of advertising that you see. They can generate pop ups or pop unders, or I mean, they run inside the browser, so they can do a lot of functions if you let them.
0: So, from that alone, right, and from also the near like universal availability of these extensions you know there are tons out there there are tons of folks working on them and just putting up up at the store who is providing a quality control if anyone you know is it it's kind of what i'm asking here is who is protecting users against malicious extensions
1: well in this case that would be the owner of the web store google Mm -hmm. but given the number of submissions these checks are very superficial They did one good move lately, and that was to close the web store for extensions that obfuscate their code. If you get something to hide, then you don't make it in there. That makes it easier for them to check and analyze what the extensions are going to do once they're installed. If they use some kind of scripting that doesn't clearly show what they're going to do, then they're just going to say, refuse the the extension to make it to the store.
0: But like you said as well, right, there are... More than two hundred thousand. I am assuming they're getting submissions every day. I don't know whose job it is. Like the person, right? The uh, their name, you know, where they live. But I, <laughs> I don't even know if that if it is a person, right? Instead of an <laughs> algorithm, right? But I can only assume that whether that is a job, you know, quote unquote, fulfilled by a person or more likely like an algorithm, a machine learning system. I imagine it's very thankless and it's probably very difficult to catch. Everything right and yeah that's a that's a good segue into what we're talking about here, which is you've reported quite a bit on several Google Chrome extensions in the past, including a bunch that don't necessarily say what they claim to do they don't do what what they say, and some are installed sort of also just by brute force you know you visit a website and it it kind of just cajoles you into into downloading this extension. Let's talk about a couple of those in detail and about some of the common scams, the scam threads that they have. There was one that I saw recently, this pop-up blocker called PopStop, but it didn't just block pop-ups, right? Can you tell us about PopStop?
1: Yeah, PopStop didn't block anything at all.
0: It was was an interesting case though, because
1: it it claimed to be a pop-up blocker, but it didn't ask for the permissions that a pop-up blocker would need. So that's Mm. the first thing that made me suspicious. You know, when you you install an extension, the first thing it does is ask for permissions to do certain things. And if they don't fit what they're going to do, that makes me nervous and anxious and makes (laughs) me want to know more. (laughs) So PopStop asked for read my browsing history permission, where a pop blocker would need read and change content permissions. That didn't make sense. And all these permissions, they are defined and, and laid down in the API for Chrome extensions. But sometime an extension will ask for additional permissions later. So the user doesn't get overwhelmed, like a, an app on your phone that may at some point tell you it wants access to your location if you wanted to do certain functions. So they can ask for additional permissions later. So I decided to look further and discovered that PopStop was actually a search hijack. But it used a very special way to do the hijacking. Any normal hijacker will just redirect your search to their own site or display the results from the search engine along with some sponsored results or extra advertisements. But PopStop closed the tab that the user was doing his search in and then it used its permission to look at your browsing history to look what you searched for, then opened oh. a new tab and ran that search on their own engine.
0: It sounds like that's unique. That's not the common way to do what we typically refer to as search hijacking. is yeah that this right? is the
1: first first time I saw that, and thanks to the well that they can't obfuscate their code like we talked about before, it it was easy to see what they were doing, but somehow it didn't get picked up before it uh, made it to the web store so
0: is something like a search hack hijacker something like pop stops search hijacker what is the purpose of that is it that the developer is maybe working with that search engine and is like this is a way to increase our traffic uh, is it as simple as that that seems like such yeah. a yeah. <laughs> yes yeah That's- they
1: they get a, they get a percentage of, of the revenue that people uh, make for for clicking on ads. They get a a certain percentage for that. And don't underestimate the money going around in in search engine land because that's a huge sum and even a small percentage is a good income.
0: That makes a lot of sense. Like that's super clear, of course. I wanted to move to another example. I've seen you report a couple of times on certain websites that when users visit them, those websites are sort of trying to force the, the visitors to download certain extensions. Can you explain what's happening there? And again, why? Why does someone want me to download an extension?
1: Um, the extensions you speak of, they, they prey on the less savvy users and they, hmm. they send them into a seemingly endless loop. And the user thinks the only way to break this loop is, is to install the extension a more experienced user will end past the browser and and they'll make sure it doesn't restore the open tabs when it restarts and problem solved. But a less savvy user, they see no end to this loop and they just install the extension. And again, the experienced user would, if they install the extension, would just go back and, and remove it and be done with it. But the less savvy users will use it for a couple of days and every day they use it. Mm-hmm. it brings in money
0: so we've heard a couple here that are very clearly they make your web browsing experience not what you want it to be they can be <laughs> to you know put it lightly they can direct you to different places they can annoy you they can be an inconvenience what is the worst threat you've seen in an extension
1: i've seen one that i had the very unfortunate luck of using it trying it out it opened pop-ups that were invisible to the user of the computers. They gave him coordinates. that were well outside of the range of any normal screen. So you didn't see anything, but it kept opening a window every, I think it was half a second. So at some point your computer is just so slow, you can't <laughs> do anything anymore. And the people that made this thing, they were both victimizing the computer user as well as their customers who pay them for showing advertisements because They were invisible. Nobody ever saw them, but they did get paid for showing them.
0: I can't believe that.
1: I think that was the first case of ad fraud that I ever saw.
0: (laughs) Right. And if it's opening an invisible window with that regularity as well, like you said, right, your browsing experience is going to be shut down in minutes, you know, like. Yeah, yeah. That's it.
1: Yeah, if you, I mean, my wife does have 100 new tabs open on a regular basis, but (laughs) I I tried to limit it to five or so, and (laughs) these things opened 100 a minute and more, so it was really awful.
0: Oh, man. So we've heard of some of the things that can go wrong and also some of the things that are visible, right? If your search is being rerouted to a different engine, We figure most people will be able to recognize that, you know, be able to like, wait a minute, what what's going on here? And then sometimes, you know, opening new windows. But something like you just said right right here, right where you're having to deal with invisible windows being open that you can't see, those are harder to spot. So, what are some of the signs that you may have installed a malicious or questionable Google Chrome extension?
1: Well, slowing down your browser is one thing that could be a Bitcoin miner, although we don't see those a lot anymore. But invisible windows, a lot of them will slow it down as well. Mm -hmm. And anything unexpected that you see in your browser, if you have to log in more than once on certain sites, if you get your search results from a different provider than the one you always used, if you see that the list of sponsored results are, are... two or three times as long as you as you would usually see. Well, anything unexpected should make you suspicious and, and look at what's going
0: on. Again, these are, for the most part, noticeable to folks that something does change. And we found that people are pretty good with noticing when something isn't quite right with their browsing experience, which is good. Like, that's good. Mm-hmm. They're, they're able to come and say, hey, wait a minute, something's wrong here. How do I get rid of this? Which leads into... The pretty clear question, right? How do we get rid of these? You know, from what I've read, removing these extensions can sometimes take pretty detailed steps that might actually differ between, you know, a Mac user and a Windows user. So what that means is it isn't always one solution works for everyone. One solution always works for every user. So how can users then actually best avoid a malicious extension in the first place?
1: Yeah, removing them can sometimes be hard, but it's better to prevent getting them. A couple of things you should ask yourself before you install one. Do I really need an extension for this? Or are there (laughs) other more sensible ways to get what I want? Like the example I gave of file converters. I mean, why would you want an extension to convert your Excel document to a PDF document? (laughs) It doesn't make sense. (laughs) Uh, I mean, and then if you pick an extension, look at reviews, how long has this extension been around? Most of the malicious ones have a a life expectancy of a a few weeks at most, and nobody ever writes a review about them, or it will be very bad. One thing you shouldn't trust are user numbers, because they just... They put them up at Wish. I mean, sometimes I see search hijackers that aren't even a day old, but they have more than 30,000 users. So that's (laughs) something that you shouldn't be looking at.
0: Yeah. I think, like you said, it's important, right, that folks, they read the reviews, they make sure there's a good number. They don't rely 100% on user numbers, like you said, because those can pretty clearly either be flubbed or be wrongfully amassed, you know, overnight. But I... For the folks who are out there who have them, I know they wanna get rid of it. And so in that situation, right, I, I would recommend looking up our blog. We've written about these things time and again. For folks who look that up, uh, you know, are there other things that they can do to say, okay, I, I know I have this extension. Is it as simple as looking up on Google, how do I get rid of it? What are the steps to take?
1: Oh, first step I, I take is just look at your list of extensions because removing one, usually isn't very hard it just takes some work to find out which one do i want to remove Mm because some people have a lot of them and they they don't know which one they installed last so Mm -hmm. usually when strange things start happening it's the last one Mm -hmm. you install that's the the cause for it but there are extensions that make it hard to remove because they try to be not listed in your list of extensions or they hide in other ways or they take names of uh, very trustworthy extensions or they Mm -hmm. kick out one and assume their name or their place. So it can be hard. And in those cases, I would just say run Malwarebytes or any other Mm -hmm. anti-malware you can trust and it will pick up on them because those are the really bad ones and they, they all are considered malware and every decent anti-malware solution should remove them. If you have trouble finding out which one it is and you you want to look them up, look at the permissions that I have because you can see that in, in your list, which permissions did they ask for and which ones did I give them? Does it make sense for what they want to do? where did i find this extension because the mm-hmm. unwanted ones they use pushy advertising or other ways to get on your machine and look at their privacy policy and their ulas because mm-hmm. for most of them they they don't even uh, create a new privacy policy you will find sites <laughs> that say By installing the software and not the name of the extension or anything, they just copy and paste it into the next domain and and extension they're going to put out.
0: Wow, yeah, that's a pretty good, like really easy thing to spot that I think most folks, including myself, right? I wouldn't have spotted unless I knew what to look for. That something as simple as by agreeing to the terms of this software, it's like anyone who is concerned with the actual viability and legitimacy of their software would take the time to write the name of their software you know it's (laughs) it's a small it's like writing your name at the top of your paper in grade school right this is basic stuff to notice that that isn't there is a pretty clear obvious and interesting way to to find something might be amiss here peter i just wanted to thank you again for coming on today's show
1: you're very welcome
0: to our listeners at home, we'll talk to you again in two weeks when we speak with chief security officer and co-founder of OpenPath, Sammy Kankar, about the digital vulnerabilities in our physical world.